The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. The man who goes in through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep hear his voice as he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow someone else. Instead, they will run away from such a person because they do not know his voice. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he meant. So Jesus said again, I am telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All others who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Those who come in by me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come in order that you might have life. Life in all its fullness. I am the good shepherd who is willing to die for the sheep. When a hired man, who is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. So the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. The hired man runs away because he is only a hired man and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, in the same way I know my sheep, and they know me. And I am willing to die for them. There are other sheep which belong to me that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them too. They will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I am willing to give up my life in order that I may receive it back again. No one takes my life away from me. I give it up of my own free will. I have the right to give it up. And I have the right to take it back. This is what my father has commanded me to do. Again there was division among the people because of these words. He has a demon! He's crazy! Why do you listen to him? A man with a demon could not talk like this! How could a demon give sight to blind people? Good morning, everyone. So glad you're here. Uh, this year at Lakeside, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we've been uh, considering a lot of the really like foundational claims that Jesus made about his own identity as God and as the Son of God, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And uh, you shouldn't imagine that we would have more or less reservations than the people of Jesus' day had of him as well. And uh, as, as we go chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John, things are reaching like a fever pitch. And it's going to escalate with his crucifixion on a cross. There is such a, a, a deep division about what people are believing about Jesus. And so uh, anyway, we're going to, uh, in this series, we're going to go through the Gospel of John through Easter. We're going to cover like half of the book. We're going to get through Lazarus and his resurrection and we're going to go right up to, to the life of Jesus, that final week of Jesus. And then in the fall or at the beginning of next year, we're going to cover like the last half of John. We're going to take a break because it's like a very long book. And we thought it would be good just to kind of break it up a little bit so that we can digest it all. It's very intense. 
And it just layers and layers of, of stuff that, uh, that Jesus unfolds for us. And so anyway, that's kind of the plan of what we're going to do. Uh, I want you to think about this key idea here, that, that you and I, we would be hard-pressed to find a title or a metaphor or a word picture of the God of the Old Testament that Jesus doesn't pick up and apply to himself. And that's what's so controversial about him in the Gospel of John, is that everything that God did to introduce himself to, the, to Israel, Jesus is doing. And so, for example, uh, one of the most familiar pictures of God in the Old Testament is that God is a shepherd. So a lot of us, we've heard Psalm 23. Maybe you have it on a, a, a plaque at your house. You know, it's been, it's everywhere. Every funeral you go to, Psalm 23, you know, we're very exposed to it. In Psalm 23, David prays, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And so we understand that this is a psalm about the sufficiency of God to shepherd us through any circumstance, whether it's a trial or trouble that we face, a hardship, uh, no matter what, how dark the valley, right? Even death itself, that God is a shepherd. He will lead us through that. That's what David prays in Psalm 23. So this idea of God as a shepherd, I mean, you can't, I can't think of many images of God that would be more rooted in like the Hebrew mind or the Jewish person's mind uh, reflecting on the Old Testament. And just to give you a couple examples of this, uh, the people of Israel, they understood God to be their shepherd and they to be his people, his flock, and they the sheep of his pasture. That's how they understood their national identity. So in Genesis 48, 15, go all the way back to the patriarchs. You know, here's something that Jacob says. He says, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. He's blessing Joseph, and he's reflecting back that God has shepherded Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and now he's handing the mantle of leadership onto Joseph. And God has been this intimate shepherd with his people. That's the patriarchs. When you get to the Psalms, you know, we already mentioned King David. But Psalm 79 13 picks up on this idea. You know, we, your people, God, are the sheep of your pasture. We will thank you forever. We will declare your praise from generation to generation. Like what started with the patriarchs, God shepherding his people, you know, centuries later in the Psalms, here's God shepherding his people, and they're still singing his praises. And you go all the way through the prophets, Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, 31, uh, the Lord himself declares through Ezekiel, you are my flock, the human flock of my pasture, and I am your God. This is the declaration of the Lord your God. So this idea is very established. And so uh, God longed to shepherd his people Israel. That was always his invitation to his nation. But too often God's people were led astray by false shepherds. And so instead of listening to God's voice, they listen to godless nations and godless rulers and godless authorities. And so at so many different points in Israel's history, you see what happens when God's people are led by godless shepherds. Uh, sometime this week, you might grab the book of Jeremiah. And that is a, ma <coughs> excuse me. That's a major theme in the book of Jeremiah is what happens when godless shepherds start to lead uh, God's people, right? It's a disaster. 
And it's kind of also, by the way, if you uh, just want to read Jeremiah, it's also kind of a picture of our present time where we have shepherds at every layer of society from the parent level uh, to, to teachers and authorities to government officials all the way up to, to international leaders that we have these godless shepherds that are leading people in all the wrong directions. And it's catastrophic. So we've turned from God's voice and, and today we follow every person that presumes to have knowledge, no matter how idiotic or foolish, like everybody presumes to have knowledge. So godless shepherding is, is a reality that we're very familiar with. But God wants to be our shepherd. And he wants us to tune into his voice, not the voices of the others. So this is a foundational idea. So when we come to John chapter 10, here's Jesus declaring himself to be not just the God of Israel, but to be the shepherd of Israel as well. And uh, not only has, has God uh, sent Jesus to shepherd Israel, but Jesus came about shepherding Israel legitimately. Jesus didn't leap over the fence into the pasture. He didn't trick or lie his way into the flock. He isn't some kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing or a messianic imposter or a divine fraud. All these accusations that they were making of Jesus. God himself, the Father who is the gatekeeper, opened the way up for Jesus to come about shepherding Israel. Jesus has come from the Father. He was sent from the Father. All of the, the previous 10 chapters are laying this foundation. Jesus came to lead them. He came by way of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. He came by way of Moses and the law. He came by way of the prophets of old. They said the Messiah, the Christ is coming. Jesus came by way of the psalmist, by way of the legacy of David, that David's throne would be established forever, that Jesus would come as king. They, Jesus came by way of God himself. The scripture paved the way, was the testimony of God that, that Christ was coming. And so here's Jesus in John 10. He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, you got to go through the front door legitimately, right? But climbs in by some other way, that person is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it up for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Now, uh, a little while back, uh, I have a Jeep, and I have a hitch in my Jeep, and the hitch fused to my Jeep. It rusted, and it like became one with my Jeep, my hitch, and I had to get it out uh, in order to, to, to put something else in there. And anyway, I couldn't get this hitch out of my Jeep. So uh, I got on the internet, and I did a bunch of research, and I spent like 30 or $40 spraying all these chemicals to try to break the rust bond on this hitch, and it didn't seem to really work. And then I got an air hammer, and I was hammering away at this thing, trying to get this hitch out, of, and it didn't work. So then I was like, okay, there's some people that took chains 
and tied them around the tree, and they drove away from the tree to try to pop that hitch out. And I did that at my house, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's not really working very well. So then I was like, I gotta, I gotta bring in the big guns here, you know? Like, what, what else can I do? I went and checked out some different places, and they're like, we don't really want to work on that. And somebody else was like, well, would it have to replace the whole back end of your thing? And it'd be like six hundred dollars for a whole new hitch. And I was like, it's like, come on, you know? So I called up Mike Hanna, you know, one of our shepherds at Lakeside, and elders at Lakeside, and I was like, hey, I need like a bigger chain. Like, I need something. And, you know, a farmer, you know, he's going to know. But Mike is more than a farmer. He is a shepherd, like literally. He's got this serene scene in his backyard, these lambs and these sheep. And it's so, like, we went out there, and I, I walked up to the fence, and, you know, I called out to the flock, and the flock came up, and they were real friendly. And then they realized that I wasn't Mike, and they were all like, ooh, you know, kind of like. And they, stole, they all started backing up, you know. They, I was a stranger to them. But then it got worse because Mike got a bigger chain and we tied it to a tree right next to their pasture and tied it to my Jeep and we're trying to pop this thing out. We're making all kinds of racket. Uh, Mike isn't really a shepherd. You know, he's kind of, he kind of cheats a little bit. He's got a donkey that's really the shepherd of his flock. Did you know that donkeys are, are like shepherds? They protect the flock from coyotes and this donkey named Jenny uh, got all the sheep and, and took all these sheep. And there's these little baby lambs that were kind of, right, got them all to the far back corner while we were doing all this ruckus and everything. But anyway, the, we finally got the hitch out. It finally popped out and everything. But, uh, but the sheep never trust a stranger. And they don't follow a stranger. And they're very guarded. And so what Jesus is saying is, you know, my sheep are going to be attuned. You know, the, the sheep of God, the God of Israel, the true sheep are going to be attuned to who I am. So I want to give you a couple of ideas here. Number one is that Jesus is the God of Israel. Jesus is the shepherd of Israel. But a second big idea in this passage is that Jesus is also the gate. He has authority over the gate of who can come in and who can go out and who can have life. So not only is he Israel shepherd, but he's the gate now. John 10, verses 7 through 10, Jesus tells them again. He's, he's adding these ideas and stacking these ideas. He says, truly I tell you, I'm the gate now for the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance. What we should hear in these words is that Jesus is making a very exclusive claim that not only is he the God of Israel, the shepherd of Israel, but he's actually like the only way to salvation. There's no other gate. There's no other way into salvation except through Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved, except for the name of Jesus. And so we have to deal with Jesus, and we have to deal with his identity. And so there's folks who are like, he's blaspheming God, he's demon-possessed, he's crazy. But there's other people who are like, maybe he is God. And they're listening to him, and they're getting more attuned to his voice, and they're wrestling with Jesus' claims, which is what we should be doing. But he's the gate. But then Jesus, again, he, he's stacking Ideas here. The third thing he tells them is not only is he the gate, but he is the good shepherd. 
And his goodness is manifest in the fact that he, as a good shepherd, is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. So unlike hired hands who run at the first sight of danger, Jesus is a self-sacrificing God. He is a self-sacrificing shepherd and savior. And he would rather die and lay down his life for a sheep than to risk losing a sheep. And so this is the, the nature of Jesus. He's good in his nature. Look at verses 11 and following. I am the good shepherd. Well, what's a good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He'll face any danger, any lion, any, any threat. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. Or a coyote, you know, in central Illinois, it's coyotes, okay? The wolf then snatches and scatters the sheep. This happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. Now Jesus is talking to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, Israel, saw themselves as the exclusive flock of God. What Jesus is saying is, I've got sheep that are not just of this sheep pen, right? And I have to bring them in also. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Gentiles. That it's not just a Jewish sheep pen, but it's the Gentile sheep pen. It's going to be every nation on earth that's going to be blessed, that this gospel is going to be held out to. So in the gospels, Jesus is held out to the Jewish people and everything, you know, Jerusalem is the epicenter. But in Acts, the gospel goes from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. Every sheep of every pen is called, you know, into the fold, so to speak. A lot of cults will quote this verse, by the way, and they'll say, hey, you know, uh, we've got our own flavor of Jesus and our own Messiah over here. Or we've got our own God who goes by a different name than Jesus and and we've got some kind of a rival cult over here. And you Christians, you know, you're over here and you're one flock, but there's other flocks, there's other religions. That's not what this passage is teaching. Because what he says here is he, he says uh, there will be one flock, which is the church, and there will be one shepherd who is Jesus. There won't be many different variations and flavors of Jesus and, and many different flocks and religion. No. He's saying, hey, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, and this is why the Father loves me, because I laid down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Jesus is emphasizing that it's his willingness to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world that's in view here. The goodness of him being a self-sacrificing savior. That is his credential to the people to trust him and to believe in him and, and to follow him. It's his goodness. Now, in addition to this, a fourth idea that gets layered in here is not just the goodness of God, but the greatness of God. The greatness of Jesus as a shepherd. They say the twin pillars of theology is that God is good and he's personal and loving. He lays down his life. But another pillar of theology is God's power and his greatness. How do we measure his goodness? His goodness is measured by that he lays down his life. He dies for us. 
How is God's greatness measured? Well, that's what Jesus gets to in the next couple of verses. Uh, John 10, verse 25 and following. Jesus says, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about who I am. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That's what my sheep do. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. That's the greatness part. That, that God has the power to keep us in his salvation, right? No one can snatch us from the Father. My Father, who has given these sheep to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the goodness is measured by the fact that he lays down his life. The greatness is measured by that if you trust yourself to Jesus as shepherd, there ain't anyone that can take you from his hand. If you entrust yourself to the great shepherd, if you listen to his words, if you follow his voice, nothing can separate you. That's the language that Paul uses in Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing greater, nothing more powerful, no one, no thing that can snatch you from the great shepherd. In Romans 8, uh, Paul says, uh, in Romans 8, 38, he says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He is not just a good shepherd, he is a great shepherd. Now, in John 10, and in all of John, there are two groups of people. There are those who are becoming inclined to listen to Jesus. And I hope that in our congregation, as we've gone through these different chapters of John and, and laid the foundation of Jesus' identity, I'd hope that that would also be true of this group, that there are those who are inclined to, to follow his voice. There are people that are connecting the signs and the words and the works of Jesus to the things that the Father himself is doing, that there are those who are truly beginning to believe but there's always another group, and there's always a group that's hostile to Jesus. In John 10, there's a group that presumes Jesus to be committing blasphemy. How dare you claim yourself to be the God of Israel? There are people that think he is possessed by demons, and that it's a demon that's speaking through him and, and, and saying all these claims, right? There's all sorts of nefarious motives and innuendo that's assigned to Jesus, in his day in John chapter 10. And that same thing happens today. But what I want you to see is that Jesus has an uncanny way of continually pointing at his character, his life, and his ministry. Because his life and his character and his ministry speaks for itself. If he is who he is, those things will speak for themselves. So I want you, if you're wrestling with whether to believe in Jesus, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions and just wrestle with this text. Uh, for those of you that have never believed in Jesus, what about Jesus do you not find trustworthy? What about Jesus do you not find trustworthy? You can tell when someone's a stranger, when someone doesn't know your name, when someone's trying to mislead you uh, or manipulate you in some way. You can tell when somebody 
is a robber or a thief or making some illegitimate claim upon your life. Jesus knows what's in a person, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And Jesus has come, and he's speaking to the deepest part. He's speaking to the totality of our human nature. And he's telling us where we are in relationship to God and what must happen, right, in order for us to have life in God. What about Jesus' words and his works are you maybe not finding trustworthy? Just wrestle with that. Uh, We can tell when a wolf is in the flock or a coyote is in the flock, when someone has come to steal and kill and destroy. Every word, every action, every inclination of Jesus has been to save and to give life. And, uh, you know, whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's the person caught in adultery, like situation after situation, even Nicodemus, right? Jesus has come not to condemn, but to give life. Like that's the character of his ministry. Uh, Jesus' intention is to be the gate of life, to, to establish us in eternal life, right? Now, I want you to think, about our own leaders, and I'm talking in a cultural sense, right? Think about the shepherds that we have in our world. When we look at the shepherds of our world, people that are laying claim on us, right? Nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about what you're going through, what struggles you have, what bills you have to pay. I mean, people will give you a lip service to get your vote or, you know, to, to, you know whatever, but, but nobody really is concerned about the dangers you face or, or what kind of children you want to raise or what goals you have or the future that you seek. When you look at the world's shepherds at every level, uh, there's a lot to be cynical about. And we find that people, whether they intend to or not, the world comes to kill and steal and destroy. But I want you to ask yourself, when you look at Jesus, what is there to be cynical about in regard to Jesus? He came to give life and life everlasting. Look at his commandments. What is there to be cynical about when you look at Jesus' commandments? His commandments, although sometimes very challenging and pointed and difficult, his commandments themselves bring life. And, and in him was life. And his life is the light of all men. What darkness do you see in Jesus? In what way is he not a gate to the life you've always longed for, Right? We know the difference between a good shepherd, a true shepherd, and a hired hand. You know, we know the difference between a shepherd and a donkey, you know, right? Everyone always talks a big talk uh, about life and death, right? Uh, Everybody always, you know, a a shepherd, they, they, they like to talk about the fight, but they're not always willing to come and die for their cause, right? Jesus was willing to die for his cause. He was willing to lay down his life. The mission of bringing life to us, nothing eclipsed that goal of Jesus. He was the most self-sacrificing, other-centered person in the history of the world that he would lay down his life for others. That not even the cross and all of its gore and pain and cruelty would deter Jesus from his goal of giving eternal life. He's a true shepherd because he's willing to lay down his life. Now, can you tell the difference between that kind of self-sacrificing Savior 
and the kind of self-serving, godless shepherds that try to lay claim on our lives every moment of every day at every level of society? Of course you can. Jesus is a devoted, good, true shepherd. What about Jesus does not match that picture, right? He came to die for you. Now, you can also tell the difference, I think, between a great shepherd and an incompetent shepherd. You know, a great shepherd has the power to do what he says he has the power to do. And an incompetent shepherd might talk a big game or a big talk, but not deliver on their core promise. The acid test for Jesus is going to be very simple. If he's a great shepherd, is he competent to do what he says he can do? He says in his goodness that he will lay down his life. But what's going to be great about the shepherd is that he can take back up his own life after he lays it down. So is Jesus just a good shepherd or is he also a great shepherd? Is Jesus good or is he competent? Can he lead us through death, from death to life, right? The Israelite nation, they pass through the Red Sea from death to life. Can we pass through from death to life in Jesus? So Jesus, on one level, could say whatever he wanted to say. He could make whatever claim. He could claim to be God, you know. You could blaspheme and claim to be God too. I don't recommend it. I'm not saying that. But any of us could say anything we wanted. But what is going to be the proof of what we say is what we do. And the fact of Jesus' resurrection is what's going to prove his greatness for all time. Not just that he can take Lazarus' life back up. He can take his own life back up, and he can take your life and my life back up, and nothing can separate us from the love of God because of the power of Jesus. If Jesus was a fraud, he would die and be crucified, right? Crucified and he would die. He'd be laid in that grave and he'd still be there to this day. But instead, he rose on the third day and he returned from where he came from. That's another evidence of his power. Will I go back to where I said I came from? I came from the Father, I'm going to ascend back to him. Just like Jacob's vision, you had the angels going up and down the ladder. Well, I came down from God, I'm going to go back. And where I'm going, you can't come. But where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a home for you. You know, so is Jesus competent or not? Did he deliver on the core promise of his life that he has the power to take up life from death to life? So you have to wrestle with these questions. I want to come back to Psalm 23 because we're very familiar with it. In Psalm 23 is David's testimony, King David's testimony of how God is not just a good shepherd, but also how God is a great shepherd because God led him personally through every point in his life and ultimately led him from death to life. I want to read Psalm 23 in a moment, but right now I want you to sincerely ask yourself a question. Who do you say Jesus is? What is your testimony of Jesus? What has been your experience of God being your shepherd, of Jesus leading and guiding and shepherding you? If you're one of God's, the sheep hear his voice, and you've heard his voice. He's spoken to us through his word. But we don't just hear it, but we know his voice. That as we, as we listen, we start to recognize the goodness 
and the purity of what God is offering us and what he's asking of us. We hear his voice. We know his voice. We follow his voice. We obey his voice. We lay down our life. We give our life to him because he has the authority to take it right back up again. We offer ourselves to him. Where are you at? Are you one of God's sheep? Are you part of his flock, his pasture? When darkness comes, Jesus is the light of the world. What darkness has Jesus, the light of the world, led you through in your life? What's your story? What's your testimony? You know, I know there's a lot of good things that we can list that have happened to us in our life, and I hope that you've had a good life and you've had many blessings. It's easy to talk about the happy endings and all the good things that have kind of worked themselves out in our lives. But what about the hard stuff in life? How has God walked with you as your shepherd through the really, really hard things? So ultimately what God is asking of us is that we trust him as our shepherd. Not just in the easy and good things, but in the hard things, the really difficult things. And there's no greater enemy that we face than death itself. And even that dark valley God can lead us through. That's Psalm 23. At one point, our relationship with Jesus has to stop being academic. Are we willing to actually let him be shepherd, right? It's a great idea. Are we willing to let him be our guide? Are we willing to trust his goodness? Are we willing to stake everything on his greatness and power and resurrection, right? And this is what David in Psalm 23 says. He says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the personal name that David understood God to be. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I go through the darkest of valleys, I don't fear any danger, God, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In fact, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6, only goodness. Think about this. Only goodness and faithful love pursues me. Not evil, not like only goodness, only faithful love chases me all the days of my life. And even after that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever for as long as I live. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When have you experienced God's provisions in your life because you trusted him as shepherd? He gave you what you truly need. He met you in your hurt, in your trouble, in your distress. What's your testimony about how God has been present in your life as your shepherd? That when there is darkness encroaching the light, he, he, he established your path and, and led you through with his presence and was a comfort to you. What's your testimony about the promises of God? The ultimate promise is resurrection. And life, that's the ultimate thing we're trusting God for, that even though we die, yet shall we live. We're going to get there by Easter. But even though we die, yet shall we live. Are you willing to trust God as shepherd with the really big stuff and the hard stuff of life? Not just the easy stuff, but the hard realities.
Let's pray. Dear Father, we know that the last enemy to be conquered is death itself. And we know that you are so good, you laid down your life that we might live. And you're so great, you have the authority to take our lives back up in resurrection, in hope, in eternity. We know you're so great, you're preparing a place for us that we may be with you and your Father forever. And you've demonstrated your goodness and greatness through your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension. You went back to the Father from whom you came. And you've asked us to trust your leadership over our lives. May we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.